LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Well, hello and welcome to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy, here as always with my co-host, Todd Adkins. And today we are joined by Dave Alpern, who is the president of Joe Gibbs Racing, where he actually began his career back in 1993 as an unpaid intern. And since then, he has seen the team grow from 18 employees to more than 500. And he has worked with C-level executives from many of the world's top brands. In addition to that, he is also the author of his new book, Taking the Lead. Dave, how are you doing today? Hey, what's going on, Chandler Todd? I really appreciate you guys having me. Thanks for that uh very uh, kind introduction. <laughs> well, there's a lot there. For- those. That was awesome. <laughs> You're like, I'm just normally used to be like, and here's Dave. <laughs> yeah, here's Dave. Here, Dave. Hurry up. Yeah. Well, we are excited to talk with you today. And before we jump into the five leadership questions, I am, you know, in your bio, it says, you know, you started your career back as an unpaid intern with Joe Gibbs Racing. So just would love to know what your story was to go from that to now the president of the racing team. Can you just kind of walk us through that just a little bit? Yeah, no, the, the, the short version. And that is, I love talking to students. And one of the things I tell them is, I mean, often your start isn't going to be uh, as glamorous as you expect. And mine was about as unglamorous as you could get. Yeah, legit. They, I got this opportunity to, to, to work with this startup NASCAR team, you know, here's, Coach Gibbs, he's a legend where I'm from in the D.C. area. And people in D.C. don't agree on anything except the football team when they're good. And so Coach was <laughs> the most popular guy in D.C. And I have the opportunity to do this. And I figured, hey, everything this guy touches turns to gold. I'm in. This will look great on my resume. I figured I'd be there six months and they, you know, I'd go do something else. So they don't have anywhere to put me. So they honestly like emptied out of a broom closet. And I had one of those wooden elementary school desks where the tops attached to the seat and there's no electrical outlets in a, in a broom closet. So I had an extension cord and a lamp and, and this is early nineties. So there's no internet. So I have no computer. I have a, like a spiral notebook and I have a, and I have a phone with a really long cord. And I mean, again, who the heck am I going to call? I had no idea what I was doing. So that was my start. And, and I, and all I could think of was, you know, I had this really high achieving dad who's a, that's a whole nother story. My dad was a, a CIA operative who spoke multiple languages and had briefed actual presidents at the white house. And here I am his only son. And I'm working in a garage in North Carolina for free in a broom closet, just thinking, boy, he must be really proud of me. <laughs> you know. So, and that was honestly how it started. And I, and I, I started, you know, I wanted to, and I, there's a section in my book calling called delivering more than deliver more than you cost. And the idea is if you want job security, deliver more value than you're paid. It's a pretty simple prop. And when you're an unpaid intern, that's a very low bar, but I wanted to make sure I had, you know, I earned my keep. And so, you know, it was honestly, it was being, you know, being great at little things, um, never saying that's not my job, things like that. And so all that to say, um, 29 years later, you know, I've been the president of JGR for, for six years. And that came about through a real unfortunate set of circumstances that maybe we can talk about in the conversation when, you know, my best friend, JD Gibbs uh, got sick and I ended up taking his job. And so it didn't look anything like I thought it would. And, uh, but it, it, uh, (laughs) it was a lot of years and I, and I had almost every job in the front office leading up to it, you know, whether it was consumer products, public relations, you know, you, you name it, working with sponsors. And so I had a chance to see all of that, which really prepared me for this job that 
frankly, I never envisioned was possible because I work for a family business and I'm not in the family. So uh, that's that brings up uh, a question I kind of had in the back of my head, which was so so we're obsessed with, you know, a a, a clear leadership pipeline. Yeah. Um, we're obsessed with, you know, uh, scope and sequence development of people because, you know, whether I mean, most people listening to this are um, pastors or on church staff or probably Christian nonprofit or whatever. But, you know, the most valuable resource that we have is the, is the people that we're, we're leading. And so we are really obsessed with shifting people from intuitive leadership to intentional leadership. But I want to know, because Joe Gibbs is, I mean, <laughs> legendary yeah. leader. So I'm wondering... Um, and we, we know that God could, uh, God, God often, uh, circumvents our nice, neat plan of steps and scopes and sequences and all that. But talk to us a little bit about, um, your, your journey from how much of this is intuitive and intentional when it comes to your development within the organization. So honestly, and I, I appreciate and I agree with everything you just said. So if I'm honest, there were there were two decades. If you look at my prayer journal, I talk about this in my book. There were there were literally two decades of entries of me being very frustrated at times where, God, am I going to be the T-shirt guy for the rest of my career? Um, and that was my so my friend. One of the projects that earned my keep was I. I came up with the idea of selling t-shirts at RFK stadium when Joe was still the NFL coach. I knew nothing about t-shirts. I had to figure it out without the internet, made them, sold them. And all of a sudden I was the t-shirt guy. And I started becoming a licensed product expert and made all the t-shirts and hats for the NASCAR drivers. And that was my thing for over a decade. Well, after a while, you know, Joe would trust me inside the building in meetings and ask me my opinion, but nobody outside of his office knew that. So outside He's just the t-shirt guy. So everyone would go, yeah, this is Dave. He does the t-shirts. And I wanted to, you know, you know, scream, no, I'm not. I do so much more stuff. And, you know, you, you want to, you just want to feel valued. And, and, and then at each stage of my career, I just thought, you know, they're not really utilizing me. And, and keep in mind, Joe's oldest son, JD was my best friend growing up. So I always lived, look, I I struggled with self-confidence as it was. I always had the complex that people are all looking at me thinking you're just JD's friend. That's why you're there. You didn't earn it. And so I I would overcompensate by working harder or, or trying harder. All that to say, I had no idea each of those different things that may have frustrated me at the time, they were preparing me for a job that and obviously God knew if I could have fast forwarded in my book of life, I would have gone, Oh, I understand. (laughs) But at the time I was going, I'm not being challenged here. And, and God was preparing me. He was saying, you need to learn this. You need to learn this. You need to learn this. You need to be great at this little thing before I entrust you with this bigger thing. And we just want to fast forward to the bigger thing. (laughs) And the, you know, whether it's the bigger office, the bigger responsibility, the more accolades, whatever. So it was actually, all that to say that in our case, you know, I think God knew what he was doing. I, I, I think we had no idea, um, you know, what was to come. I mean, this was a family business and Joe's dream was to hand this over to his oldest son. And J.D. was the perfect person for it. And, and, and to be honest with you, even though I would get frustrated at different stages, 
I was very, very comfortable as this chief of staff, which is kind of what I was. I was, I, I was up front just enough to sort of satisfy that itch, but I would often tell my wife, man, I am glad I don't go to bed at night with the burden of all those families relying on me to make good decisions. Boy, I don't know how JD does it. And then little did I know God was preparing me for that job. And now that is me. And if I'm honest, it's one of those grass is always greener. Once I got the job as president, I kind of went, man, I, I, I kind of miss being the t-shirt guy. I, I, I <laughs> all those years, you know, be careful what you wish for. And, 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 and again, we can talk about that, but all that to say my leadership style, if you made a, if you made a wheel, me and Joe are on the opposite side. So, so, and one of the things I think that's different about my book is most leadership books are written from the perspective of what I call the alpha leader, the, which is literally Joe Gibbs, the person who walks in the room and you go, they're in charge. It's that personality. It's that whatever. I am not that. I am. I, I really approach it more. I'm a reluctant leader. And I think people, I think that resonates with some people because a lot of people think, if I don't have that Joe Gibbs personality, I must not be a leader. And that is not, that couldn't be, that's, there's nothing further from the truth. I think there's different styles of leaders and God can use you, you, you know, don't rewire the way God made you. God made you a certain way, but you can be a leader. It just doesn't have to look like that dynamic, you know, alpha leader. Now, again, the, some companies, and, and I, and let me say, I respect people like that. And I think God's used us uniquely because the two of us complement each other so well that if I was that, you know, rah, rah, alpha leader, we probably would have killed each other over the years. But the fact that we are so complementary has really worked. And I think on many staffs, it's good to have complementary leadership styles. And particularly as you're grooming up people, I don't think there has to be a cookie cutter. You know, if one leader leaves, the, the next leader doesn't have to have the same style or be the same person. And, you know, I'll close this part by saying I struggle and still do a lot with it's been six plus years since I replaced my best friend as president. And I've really had to balance on the one hand, I need to really represent what JD would do. Cause I think I'm the best link to him and the culture and how he handled things. But at the same time, recognize I'm not JD and God doesn't want me to be JD. I'm me. So I have to do things the way that, you know, I feel like the Lord's leading me to do it at the same time, trying to acknowledge you know, my friend JD, whose job I, I, I came into again, and it wasn't planned at all. So there's a balance, but I think we have some distinct leadership styles here. And, and it was just a very unique situation that led to me becoming the president. Hmm. Well, Dave, there's so much that we could probably follow up there on leadership styles and even just your journey, but yeah. we're going we're gonna to hop in here to the five leadership questions. And we're probably at some point going to circle back to some of the things we yeah, just yeah, discussed. Great. But the first question is this, is who are you currently learning from? Well, you know, like everybody, there's there are definitely a number of people. Obviously, the aforementioned two-sport Hall of Famer, Joe Gibbs, I learn from every day. And uh, it, it's been, you know, it's one of the reasons I wrote a book, because I've had the front row seat. I've been the closest person to him for the last 30 years, and I've really gotten to, I get a chance to unpack a lot of the things that I learned, just how he approaches everything, the sense of urgency, that kind of thing. Um, interestingly, you know, I like to share, and I actually have a chapter about him in my book, My Young Life Leader. I met the Lord through the ministry of Young Life, mm. and my Young Life Leader, Rick Beckwith, he's a mentor of mine. We still talk almost weekly. We check in, he prays for me. And, and so I, I continue to, he, he's probably the most, the chapter in the book about him is 
about being intentional. He is the most intentional person. Every minute of conversation is intentional. And he, and he, he always has a challenge for me. So um, I, I learned quite a bit from him. And one of the things I love the most about my job is from a business standpoint, I get to learn from literally some of the great leaders in, in the world, really. And I have a chapter called Traits of the Greats, where I talk about you know, my Mount Rushmore, you know, it's Toyota, FedEx, Mars, interstate batteries, and these, these, you know, giants in business who I, I, I've just, I get to learn from every day. And, you know, there's a saying that great leaders surround themselves with people smarter than them. And in my case, that's not super difficult, you know, (laughs) for real. And so most of the meetings I'm in, I recognize this person is smarter and better than me at whatever it is they're talking about. Mm. I'm just going to take it all in. And so I do get almost like an MBA course every day, just talking, just talking to those people. And, you know, you know, let's be honest. I, I, I probably learned the most about life from my wife and I have three boys and they're grown now. And just all of them, you know, just spending time with them. I'm just always so grateful for their perspective and, you know, when they pray for me and they're, they're not afraid to ask me things that I may not have considered. And so, um, you know, having a godly wife is, is probably an amazing source of wisdom and the Lord uses her to speak to me. Um, I would not be able to do my job without her. You know, she just mm. such a source of wisdom for me when I come home and I'm like, all right, I've got this impossible situation. <laughs> I don't know how to deal with it. And as most of your listeners probably relate to all our, all of most, I would say most of our issues come down to people. It doesn't matter what, job you're in, or again, whether it's a church, you know, a ministry. And again, I I view my job as a ministry as well. Your issues deal with people. And often we need wisdom on how to deal with people because you're dealing with human beings and we're imperfect. And so that usually is the source of a lot of our conflict and issues in business. You know, you mentioned, uh, I mean, totally agree with you that people is, is so key to all of this. And you, you mentioned, Hey, surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. You don't want to be the smartest (laughs) person in the room. Right. And there's a lot of humility that that has to come with that. You know, if you if you're not okay surrounding yourself and also having somebody speak into a decision that you make. So how yeah. do you, how do you lead in that way and you know, you're kind of talking about the culture of your team before. How do you make sure that, you know, when you're when you're at a table with your team and just yeah. no matter what, that people feel comfortable speaking into situations and decisions even if Dave the president made them. No, it's well, and I've learned a lot from Joe and JD and they would always get people's input. You know, Joe's a coach and in coaching, the great thing about coaching, you get all these people in a room and they're looking at a whiteboard and they're hashing it out. They're yelling at each other and they, you have to learn to work together as a team. You learn a lot in sports. And so he does that here as he views us as coaches and he'll get three, four, five, six of us. I sometimes joke, he leads by proximity. Whoever's closest, he goes, get in here. And you you just (laughs) walking by, (laughs) you're all in the, you're all in the battle. But he will go around. Um, now, we also have a joke, and this is I'll say this. Hopefully, people appreciate that. I'm, I am kidding, but <laughs> partly. Sometimes he'll get everyone's input, and then, and then at the end, he'll go, okay, everybody who's opposed to my opinion, signal by saying I quit. And then <laughs> you kind of go, okay, I get it. You're making the final decision. But he wants your input. And so yeah. I have learned quite a bit. And I think for me, you know, I try to just be really good at listening. And, and honestly, one of my... And and yeah, you have to make it a safe environment where your folks know I can give you a different opinion and you're not going to fly off the cuff. And so you've got to you got to remain steady when you're 
when you're listening to different views, you, I mean, again, if you're known for, man, if I go in there, Dave's going to blow up on me. No one's ever going to share a differing opinion. So I think I'm pretty level-headed um, when it comes to that. Again, partly because of my lack of confidence, particularly er earlier in my career, I can tell you one of my philosophies in meetings was to never talk first and to talk infrequently so that when I open my mouth, everyone listens. They know, all right, if Dave's talking, he's not talking just because he's one of those people who likes to hear himself talk. He's got something to say. And that's still true for me now. So when I'm in a meeting, even if I think I do have a lot to offer, I will save it because I really want to listen. I don't want to skew people by talking early and have everyone going, okay, well, I'm going to do what Dave thinks. Yeah. So I want to listen to everyone. And then I may chime in towards the end. They go, okay, here's, Here's what I would do. So a lot of that is having the discipline to, to not <laughs> spew out right at the beginning. This is what I think, because again, yeah. particularly when you're, if you're the president, that's going to skew what everyone else thinks in an opinion. So, you know, asking, listening, having a non-threatening way. And then obviously you got to be willing to make a decision and hopefully over time you earn the right, even if it's, you know, Hey, we're all in this together. Even if you disagree with me, we're going to walk out of this room and mm -hmm. we're going to link arms on this one. Yeah, I think so many, uh, it's such helpful advice. It's just kind of a pro tip right there is like, hey, don't be the first one to speak because there's so many times where that brainstorm session, even if it's just three to five minutes where others are speaking, if if you were the first to speak, it just shuts that down and good ideas don't actually get brought to the table. Yeah, And it's like, well, Dave said we're doing this, so we're going to do it rather than there could be a great idea out there. But that, that was also true when I was early in my career. I did not want to be that obnoxious guy in the meeting that everyone goes, good grief, he would not <laughs> shut up. And so I wanted to, I wanted them, I wanted it to be that thing where, all right, hold on, hold on, hold on. Dave's talking, Dave's talking, yeah. you know, and, and, and you earn that over time mm -hmm. by contributing, you know, good things or encouraging other people. And, and, you know, being that person, they're like, all right, if we want to add value to this meeting, we need that person in the meeting, and, you know, and that comes over time. Yeah. I think that's really good advice. Just because you have something to say doesn't mean that you have something to say. That is a good point. It's it's hard. Hard. It's hard. Especially for us it's extroverts. Hard. When you're an extrovert, you just want to talk, you know. <laughs> <That is. laughs> for sure. Okay, so let's uh let's shift to the second question now. Um I mean, you know, NASCAR affected, I'm sorry, COVID affected everything, including uh greatly wow. affecting NASCAR. We were we're just talking uh, to you before we hit record uh, just a little bit about, you know, your team or teams and that uh, you guys are really unique and that you have, you've, you've got four different teams racing in a race. And, and yeah. um, you know, you mentioned you guys have had a lot of success prior to COVID uh, several races. You, you guys finished first, second, and third. Um, and, and man, I, I just can't imagine going through COVID and kind of coming out of it. Um, what's the main point of emphasis with your team right now? Because I, I know that there was a lot of, um, trying to figure out what was going on for the last year, but, but kind of seeing light at the end of the tunnel yeah. and, and coming out of that, what's your main point of emphasis? Yeah, we can't. So for us, really, it's, it's being intentional with relationships with our partners. So a quick background. One of the things that makes NASCAR different is 75 or 80% of our revenue comes from sponsorship. And so one of the secret sauces of NASCAR is 
for our partners, Toyota, you know, FedEx, Mars, Stanley Black & Decker, Bass Pro Shops, the access and it, so, so our team is their team. In other words, Denny Hamlin drives the FedEx Camry. There is never going to be an NFL team called the Denver FedExes, but in our sport, <laughs> they are the identity of the team. And as a result, there is a direct connection with the brand, the executives, you know, we're on the radar of executives. We win the Daytona 500 FedEx executives are crying with joy going to victory lane because it's their car. It's different. It's a different connection. All that to say, one of the things that makes it work is when they come to the racetrack, they're standing on pit road with the driver. They're standing next to the driver during the anthem. They're sitting in the pits, which is the equivalent of standing next to the coach on the sideline during the game. They go to victory lane when we win. That's again, I use the word secret sauce. That's what makes a NASCAR sponsorship work. Well, during COVID, they couldn't do any of that. They were watching from home. They couldn't be there. And um, fortunately, we had long-term relationships. But again, you have to be intentional with your relationships. And so now that things are opening up, we're going to see them. We're, we just had our first, uh, our, our first sponsor came and had, had a two-day, uh, actually a three-day conference here at our facility with 12 of their executives. It was wonderful to see them. And we went out to dinner two nights with them. And so we're being more intentional and just say, Hey, we want to reintroduce ourselves in person. We've been doing a lot of the zoom stuff, but ultimately we want to get them back to the track. We want to spend more time with them. And again, if I've heard it once, I've heard it 10,000 times, Joe's philosophy and his, he says it all the time is this isn't business. This is relationships. It's all this is, is we are, we're in the people business. We're building trust. We're building relationships. And so I think we're just trying to be more intentional with that um, in person and really, you know, moving past the virtual world and getting, getting it, getting in person. And again, cause I think that's really important and what, with what we're doing. You know, one of our jobs here is, is to really, try to tap into your experience, your wisdom, your knowledge, and somehow bring it into the church world. And so sometimes we fail miserably uh, in our analogies, but um, man, growing up in Baptist churches and stuff, and I'm still in the Baptist church, by the way, uh, I can remember like the gold plate with somebody's name on it, you know, on a particular pew or window or, or whatever, but I love the idea of full integration of this person into the the family of, you know, of, of racing and the fact that they're, they're not just um, a sponsor, they're in part an owner, they own the mission, they own all that. How do you bring on a, so if you've got a, a new sponsor who's never sponsored NASCAR before. So maybe they've like, you know, paid to sponsor something else. Yeah. They're just used to stroking a check and, you know, going and sitting in their pew. How do you help them transition? Well, how do you welcome them into the family and actually get them engaged and involved? Yeah. The, the, the best it's funny. I appreciate you asking that. We, first of all, we love those folks. We love getting them in the building and what we do and again, we may not say it exactly like this, but you start with, don't take our word for how this works here. Let me give you the phone number for the CMO of FedEx, mm. Toyota, Mark. These are really smart people. They've been partnering with us for a decade. There's got to be a reason for it. We'd love you to talk to them. So let them brag on us. And they'll say, by the way, 
we sponsor NFL and we sponsor this and that. Here's why NASCAR is different. Then it's not me talking about myself or Joe. It's them saying this works. And so, um, and again, without getting too into being salesy for NASCAR, what's really unique and what I love as a marketing background guy is every one of those partners that I named has a different objective. So they're using the same platform of NASCAR all to achieve completely different things. So there's no cookie cutter deal where we just say, slap a sticker on the car and watch it happen. doesn't work like that. We have to integrate. We have to go embed ourselves for two or three days in that new partner's headquarters and learn their culture. What's important to you? What are your business challenges? Then we'll say, Hey, we work with another company who had a similar challenge. Why don't we connect you guys? And so a lot of it is is us tailoring it to them. But again, it comes down to the relationship thing. Cause what happens is they build trust with us. We earn the right over time for them to say, well, you guys have really proven to have our best interest and you're, you deliver more than we're paying you. So we're going to, we're going to start entrusting you with more and more and more. And I think that's one of the reasons we have long-term partnerships, but we love it when we have a chance for a new partner to come bring them to the race, meet this sort of fraternity of companies that you're working with. Um, and it, it really isn't, it is a neat model. It's a lot of fun for us. Cause we, the fact that it is not an inexpensive sponsorship, what that means is we're on the radar of everyone at these companies at the highest level. And again, I'll find myself sometimes talking to a C-level executive executive thinking to myself, what in the heck is this person talking to me for? This is awesome. <laughs> so it is, a, it is a lot of fun. Mm. Jesus's final charge to his disciples was to go and make disciples of all nations. And yet, many Christians today struggle to understand what this means for them. And many churches find it difficult to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For the past 15 years, our friends at Downline Ministries have partnered with local churches by equipping men and women to know God's word and make disciples in the context of their homes, their churches, and their communities. They do this through the Downline Institute, a nine-month training program where students are taught Genesis through Revelation, biblical manhood and womanhood, and practical discipleship training. If you long for a greater knowledge of God's Word, a clear vision for making disciples, and the strengthening of biblical discipleship in your church, check out the Downline Institute's in-person and virtual training options. Downline is offering our listeners $100 off of the tuition cost. Just use the code LIFEWAY when you apply at downlineministries.com. Well, we've been talking a lot about, you know, your leadership team, uh, but for you personally, what are two or three things that you must do daily that benefit your life and your leadership? Yeah, I mean, I've always thought that to be the best, in my case, the best president of JGR, um, you know, I really first have to be it kind of sounds cliche, but I really think it's true. I mean, I have to be the best husband, the best dad, um, the best follower of Jesus. And so there's a responsibility for me to make sure those things are healthy in my life, or I don't think I'm going to be as good here. And so um, it starts with hopefully for everyone listening, the same discipline of, you know, you got to spend time in the word. Um, uh, you got to spend time in prayer. Um you know, you got to take care of yourself. So I do try to, and I'm not always great at it, but I've got a time set aside to take care of myself, try to exercise. Um, and then, and I talk a lot about this in the book and just spending time and being intentional about investing in who matters the most every day, Mm -hmm. making sure you're prioritizing, you know, again, if you're, if you have a family, 
it starts with that. What are you doing to invest in the people? What are you, how are you investing in your marriage in, in being a parent? Um, if you've got a circle of friends or accountability partners or whatever, what are you doing? How are you, you know, are you mentoring folks? Are you investing? Again, we have a finite amount of time. So I realize it looks different for, for folks, but you have to be intentional. And I, I again, so for me, um, I think it's really important for me to focus on that idea um, of investing in who matters most, investing in my family, myself, making sure I'm healthy, you know, there before I even think about trying to lead at work. Cause I would be a train wreck. If I, if, if those other things weren't in order, I would be very inefficient. Um, I think as, as a leader here. Hmm. Yeah. Now do you, in order to do that, I'm sure you were just talking about the high dollar sponsorships. Yeah. Like there is definitely feeling of, I need to give time to this situation or these people came in and we're hosting them. How do you create those boundaries to make sure that you are, you know, prioritizing those, those relationships that matter the most? It's really, it's really hard, but it, I'm sure, it, it, yeah. you have to be fiercely intentional with your schedule as much as you can be. And I, and so some examples, and again, and I talk about this in the, in the book about their stages of life. Like, I mean, if you, if you have a medical student listening to this, you're 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 going to look different than somebody else or probably even than you are later in your life. There are stages in your life, in your career where you may not have that many options. So it may even be just really small amounts of time where hey, I don't even have time to do an hour long workout or I don't have time to whatever it is. Pick, you know, again, start with what are the real what are the non-negotiables for you? What are the things that are really important? Is it I need to drive my kid to school or I or I want to have a date night with my wife, or I want to have coffee with a friend, or I want to spend 30 minutes exercising, whatever it is, look at your calendar. You may have to wake up early. You may have, you, you have to make choices. You mentioned what about the important meeting early in my career? I honestly made a spreadsheet. I would make a spreadsheet of things. And there were always two categories of things with work. There was the have to go to's mm. and the could go to's yeah. and the could go to's were endless. I could, I could have found a dinner or a trade show or a something to do every single night. And when I was single and didn't have kids, I picked more of those. Cause I thought, Hey, this is going to make me better. This is, you know, right now, this is what I got invested in. As I grew in my career, I would start crossing off some of those and say, maybe is there someone else who could go or, Hey, that would be great to go to that, but I don't have to now there's certain things that were on the have to go to list. And like you said, there's an important sponsor that comes to town. You're going to have to make some sacrifices. I would miss some of my kids things or whatever. And the, the point is that it's a balance and um, you have to, you can't just take from one. You can't just always be taking from your family and saying, this is really important. This is really important. This is really important. Yeah. Cause at some point they're really important and something else has to give conversely. Yeah. You can't tell your work every day. I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that because you made a commitment to be great there. And so again, all that to say it is hard, but you have to be intentional about it. And again, some of it depends on your stage and there's even seasons in your year or in your career that are going to look different. My kids now are all gone. My youngest is in college. And I think in many ways, you know, I've often thanked the Lord that he protected me that this president job happened as my boys were older mm -hmm. and I wouldn't have liked this job when I was 30 
yep. or 35 and my kids were little. I just wouldn't have. I, I coached 30 teams for my kids during their deals. Awesome. And I don't know if I would have been able to do that now, but I'm in a season of life where I'm ready to do a little, to have my life look a little different. So I might pick some things that I might not have 10 years. So again, some of it, again, and I understand there are certain jobs where you don't have the same luxury, but it's being as intentionally you can, even if it's little things. I appreciate the, the aspect, the caveat of there's different seasons because there's, I mean, we've asked this question so many times and even other podcasts I listen to, you hear it. And there's times where I'm like, well, that's just not doable. Or it's just like, I do this, you know, I spend five hours a morning doing the, like, how in the world? So there's different (laughs) stages and seasons. So I appreciate the caveat there. Absolutely. Well, going to the next question, you've referenced this a few different times and just really want to dive into this. Um, You know, you, you took over as president and you even called it a reluctant leader and it was a reluctant circumstance as well. I mean, I know you, you shared about JD uh, passing away and then you stepped into the president role. So what did you learn about leadership? And we, you know, we talk about pastoral succession oftentimes and succession uh, in, in churches, you know, taking over for leadership that's ahead of you trying to plan that well. Well, for you, uh, and Joe Gibbs racing, that was an unexpected succession. What did you yeah. learn about leadership and even about succession stepping into an unexpected role as the president of Joe Gibbs racing? Yeah, I, it's uh, it's funny. I, I, I was asked once, what do, what do you think are the most important characteristics of a leader? And it's funny, the words that came to mind for me may be different from some people. Um, but for me, it's authenticity and character. And so I think what I've learned is you can be authentic and you can have character without fitting into a certain personality profile. And so that there are leadership comes in many forms. I had two great examples. I had, again, I mentioned Joe with the alpha leader and I had JD who was more of a servant leader. And, you know, JD was, we, I joked, JD's excited and depressed were about an inch apart. He was very steady and, and didn't get super excited. Wasn't the rah-rah coachy kind and also did didn't get down in the dumps either. And, and, and I watched how they were both very effective. And so, but what they had in common was authenticity and character. So those are things I can control in my own life. And so I think really I've learned God can use anyone. I mean, look, the, the Bible should be a great blueprint for God using all kinds of different people to lead. Um, sometimes misfits, sometimes, extraordinarily impressive, sharp people, and sometimes people in between. And um, I'd like to think I'm somewhere in between, but uh, <laughs> it depends who you ask and what day. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I again, I don't think I, I want to encourage people that you don't have to fit a certain profile to be a leader and, and, and being a lead, you know, and, and again, I think we're all in ministry, no matter what our job is. And so, you can be a, you can be a a number of different types of personalities and still be a leader and leadership looks different. It also doesn't mean everyone's called to be the president of their company. You're, you're not a success or failure based on your, you know, your title. That's for sure. So yeah, I I think just uh, focusing on that, that God can use any personality, even someone like me who, again, I've struggled with self-confidence my whole career. I, you know, I'm sure you've used on your show the phrase imposter syndrome. I have that. I mean, I I have always had that where I'm I still view myself. This is true. I mean, I I think of myself as the intern in that broom closet oftentimes. And I'll be sitting in a meeting 
kind of twiddling my thumbs and they're kind of waiting for an answer for me. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I'm the president. They're the one I'm, I, I got to answer this. I'm just used to hiding and not wanting to, you know, and it's really hard for me to flip that switch sometimes to go, mm-hmm. that's you now you got to, you got to do this. And, and I think some people can, re- you know, some people were born to, you know, to be the guy and I wasn't. So, um, at least that's not my natural bent. So, uh, with our last question, I think that's a great transition to go back to the, go back to the broom yeah. closet. Um, yeah. and ask, you know, what would you tell your, your 20 year old self may not have been your 20 year old self. It may have been a, a few years later than that, but what would you tell him? Uh, you know, what advice would you give? What encouragement? Um, what would you tell him to watch out for? You know, those things when it comes to, to leadership and preparing to lead. It's funny when I, when I first saw that question, literally the first thing, and, and I'll give you a business answer, but literally the first thing I thought of was, so I, when I was 20, I was dating my wife and my, my today self would have told my 20 year old, you did awesome. You outpunted your coverage. Now don't screw this up. That's what I would have told my, and, and so thankfully I didn't screw it up. And, and 27 years later, you know, um, you know, we've been married 27 years. So all that to say, no, uh, um, you know, gosh, I think, um, I think there's a few things, but maybe I would sum it up by saying that your job isn't your identity. That's what I would tell my 20 year old self, because I, again, I, you know, I grew up really wanting to please my dad and, and, and him, him saying, I'm proud of you was something that I just longed for. I didn't have a super affectionate family. I, we didn't say, I love you, whatever. And I just always had a complex that I was disappointing my dad. And so for me, you know, I was not raised in the church. And so again, I met the Lord through young life and the God in our home was achievement. And, and I just thought, you got to get into a good college. You got to get a good job. You got to be important and then you'll have made it. And that was the way I was wired. So, you know, my 20 year old self was ambitious, but it was more in a, this is going to fill some hole type of way. And, and it doesn't, and your title, you know, look, God calls us to be great at what we do, but that has nothing to do with your title, you know? So, um, you know, again, the old saying, there's no titles on tombstones. It couldn't be more true that nobody, nobody cares. And a title, by the way, doesn't make you a leader. So if you're, if you're just starting out and maybe you're in a cubicle and you don't, nobody reports to you, whatever, you could still be a leader. Leadership literally has nothing to do with your title. Some of the best leaders and the, some of the most influential people in our building don't have good titles at all, but everyone knows to go to that person because they're a leader. They're, they're the person that's going to give you great advice. That's got great wisdom. You can be a leader no matter what your title is. And at the end of the day, you know, I had the privilege of speaking at, you know, my best buddy JD's service two years ago. And, you know, you want to talk about a life well lived, you know, you know, watch his service. Um, and, and one thing that was not mentioned in the two hours that we were worshiping and talking about JD was anything related to his job. You know, no one said, boy, he was really good at this or that. They talked about the influence he had on people. They talked about his faith. They talked about the way he led his family well. And so all that to say, we spend all this time worrying about our titles and our, and, and again, I think there's a biblical mandate where to be great at what we do, take our job seriously, but it can't be our identity. And I know particularly often for men, um, it's, that's hard to not do because what, 
It's the first thing people ask you when they meet you. Hey, nice to meet you. What do you do? Because that's our identity. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, look, it's hard for me. I'm and now I'm the president of Joe Gibbs Racing. It's easy to go. Hey, I'm the, I'm the president. That is, you know, that is not who I am. That's not what's going on my tombstone. That's not what they're going to talk about at my service. And so what am I doing as so, so the, the moral of that is as the president of Joe Gibbs Racing, how am I using that as a platform to do things that actually will matter? Who am I influencing as the president that I wasn't influencing or I couldn't influence when I was the intern? Am I, am I being a good steward of that influence and that responsibility? And I'm trying to do that. And again, when I was 20, I thought it's all about, you know, trying to please my dad and, and, and achieve more, but I didn't really know what achievement meant. Man, I think that's so good. Uh, you know, there's a, uh, an old adage, you know, beware of, are weary of a leader who wants to pick up a title before they pick up a towel. And so it's, uh, it's amazing to hear your story and, you know, the different jobs that God had for you and, uh, and bringing you to this point. And, um, you know, you can see that clearly now, but you couldn't see it clearly then. Uh, and you know, I, we're grateful. I'm sure your team's grateful that you, you may have, uh, you know, sought the uh, sought a, a title at, at some point, but you never dropped the towel along the way, and that's what made all the difference. And that honestly is probably what made you uh, the leader that you are. And so, it's a beautiful thing. And I'm trying to, in my mind, um, as we're as we're closing here, I'm I'm trying to, you know, figure out is there is there some connection to finding your identity, when you find your identity, ultimately your identity should be in Christ. Your identity is found in Ephesians, you know, not two, eight, nine is, is it's found in two ten. after you figure out that, you know, it's not what you do. It's who you're becoming. You're his workmanship and he's got specific things for you to do. That's why, where your identity is, but it's, it's living that out in service. And so, I, I just love uh, love your story and love how you got to where you are. And um, just grateful uh, for your conversation today with us. And uh, thanks so much, Dave. Well, guys, I appreciate you having me. Thanks to everyone who spent time listening. Appreciate you. I know you'll be watching the race this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. For sure. Well, Dave, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. And thank you for listening. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. If it has, you're going to want to go to takingtheleadbook.com to check out Dave's new book. So once again, that is takingtheleadbook.com. And if this episode has been helpful to you, we would ask also that you head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review so other leaders like yourself can find the podcast. And we'll see you next time.